Welcome to episode two of Stick to Syracuse. I'm Brent Dax. Inappropriately enough, here in the middle of February, I've got a little bit of a Syracuse cold, so please pardon my voice on that. Hey, how'd you get here today? Did you find the link on Syracuse.com or maybe through social media? That's fantastic. Let me tell you about a cool way, though, that you can keep track of every episode of Stick to Syracuse, which launches every Monday. You should subscribe. We're on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, SoundCloud, so just hit that little subscribe button, and when a new episode is ready, it'll automatically arrive wherever you listen to your podcasts. Really excited for you to listen to episode two today. If anything, it might make your mouth water a little bit. I talked to John Stage, the owner of the Dinosaur Barbecue. John is a guy I have always wanted to talk to. How did a barbecue joint become one of the identifying marks of Syracuse, New York? Think about it. When Syracuse makes the national news, it's usually for a lot of snow, Syracuse basketball, or Dinosaur Barbecue won another award. I hope you enjoy that conversation. And just around the corner from the dinosaur is a little donut shop that's become one of the hot foodie spots in Syracuse, glazed and confused. I sit down with Paul Valenti to find out why people can't get enough of his donuts and about Paul's plans to expand beyond the donut business in downtown Syracuse. And on the sound scene today, Kathleen Mason from K-Mace Productions sits down with Melissa Gardner. You may remember she jammed out with the Dave Matthews Band on stage at the Lakeview Amphitheater last summer. What do you say we get to it? Just Joe, take it away. Behind SU Sports, snowstorm weather we pose. Stick to Syracuse today. Salt potatoes, high top dogs, dynasty barbecue all year long. Stick to Syracuse today. It's raining, it's snowing, it don't know where it's going. Stick to Syracuse today. Ladies and gentlemen, your host of Stick to Syracuse, Brent X! How did a barbecue joint become one of the identifying marks of Syracuse, New York? I wanted to know why, so we went right to the source. John Stage, the owner of the Dinosaur Barbecue. It opened its doors on October 11th, 1988, after John and some friends would ride from biker event to biker event. Cooking barbecue, at one point in a 55-gallon drum, sawed in half. But John got tired of life on the road and wanted to put down some roots, and he did it in Syracuse. Those first couple of years were a struggle, but it was after a review in the New York Times in 1992 that John knew maybe he was onto something. You know, like, oh my God, we got this now. Everything was just happening so fast back then. And we spent a, you know, a lot of time keeping, just trying to keep up with it. Because we went from um, you know, a concession business with myself and my partner to opening up the restaurant with myself and my partner and one other guy to now full service, you know, double tripling our staff and taking on, because you know, when we first opened up, it was just in the front room. So I took your order, I cooked your food, I brought your food out to you. So we were very, very, um, there was only like three of us. And then when we decided to take over and open up the bar, that was all new to me. I had never been in the bar business. I never had a, a server. I never did full service restauranting. I went from the concession business to opening up a restaurant. And the restaurant felt a little like the concession business the first two years. Then we went full service, so I had to learn all that. At the same time, getting very busy, 
with it. So we really did not have a plan for it. We just, <laughs> I, I spent a lot of time catching up to stuff over the years. Are you still catching up to this day? Always, always. No, you know what, if, the day I say i got to figure it out is the day I get the hell out of this thing. <laughs> no, no, you're always learning. I mean, I'm still learning. It's amazing. It doesn't wow. stop. It was life on the road that taught John Stage about barbecue. And as he discovered, he wasn't really making barbecue at all. When we were doing that back then, we were not barbecue. We were sausage peppers and onions and steak sandwiches but what we did is we developed a barbecue sauce to differentiate ourselves from our competitors who were doing sausage pepper and onions with a uh, with a marinara sauce a pomodoro sauce so everywhere we went our competitors always had a tomato sauce so we're like damn we got to do something different i'm gonna i'm gonna do a barbecue sauce that'll give us our barbecue niche but it had nothing to do with what we're doing now it wasn't until we started going on the road more outside of the region and and crossing the mason dixon line that we learned that well not learned we were told in no uncertain terms this ain't barbecue that was probably in the mid 80s or so and at that point i decided man i gotta learn what barbecue is so yeah, we were busy at the... Well, you know, the, the life on the road was you'd hit, then you'd miss. Swing, hit, miss. You know, so one event you'd make money, the next two you'd get rained out. So it was very up-and-down lifestyle. I got tired of that lifestyle, and I said, man, we got to we got to settle in, you know, settle down and open a restaurant. My son was just born, and, you know, I was traveling... You know, it's a crazy lifestyle, so I wanted to get out of that lifestyle, and that's how we opened up Syracuse. So by that time, I was just learning my barbecue chops when we opened up the restaurant. So by no means, you know, I, I shudder to think what that barbecue was like back then, but we were just learning true barbecue at that point. Anyone who's been to Dino knows that it attracts every walk of life in central New York. But its roots come from John and friends going from biker event to biker event. As it turns out, Dino's location was meant to be based on what was upstairs, right above it. Oh, yeah. Well, this location where we're sitting right now upstairs, this was a motorcycle shop. And I always, it was Andy's motorcycle shop. So I always brought my bike here. You know, I knew everybody up here. And uh, I used to eat downstairs at the NH Tavern. So they were, they were getting on in years, and they wanted to get out of the restaurant business, and I was looking at that time to get into it. And then um, the deals fell apart like five different times, and then um, uh, the Santeros, who own um, you know, the construction business, they bought the building, and they heard that I was looking at it and came, came to me and said, hey, would you like to take over the downstairs? But we didn't have a liquor license. We just had, you know, so we opened up the front room. And that's, I did that for two years before we opened up, got a liquor license. Did you know that once upon a time you could go to Dinosaur for breakfast? As John tells it, that didn't last very long after they opened up in October of 1988. October 11th, 1988. Oh, is that the date? <laughs> I was going to say, no, I couldn't. That day? Um, I don't, but. That's yeah, no, day. wait a minute. I do remember the, I don't remember the date, but I remember the day because we opened for uh, breakfast back then. And I thought we were going to open for breakfast, and there was going to be throngs of people coming in. And we had 
bacon piled like this. We had oatmeal, gallons of oatmeal. We had all kinds of things ready, and not one person walked through that door. Seriously? <laughs> Seriously, it was, it was a disaster. What do you think at that moment? Like? I was like, wow, we have got to recalibrate. <laughs> recalibrate our expectations. So, um, you know, because breakfast, I hated. I hated doing breakfast. I hated getting up that early. And you don't want, like, an angry breakfast guy <laughs> cooking your breakfast. So we finally started building a little something, you know, and then we did lunch. So it was a long day. It was breakfast, lunch, and supper, we used to call it. We'd close at 8 o'clock. But by the time that was, you know, these were 14, 16-hour days back then. <clears throat> so first chance I got, to not do breakfast, I, I couldn't celebrate that more. It, it, it is, it, it's kind of amazing because it is 30 years to the month, I guess. Now that you gave me um, uh, the opening date, um, we should have closed on this late October. So, um, you know what, I didn't even realize it. I guess I, guess I realized the irony of it um, as it was happening. But I was like, damn, this is interesting. It's a, I didn't know what the dates were, but I knew it was 30 years. I was like, damn, everything comes back around. You know, things things do come full circle. It's amazing. It is. That is. It is kind of amazing. When you come to Syracuse, do you mm-hmm. have a routine that you do to make sure everything's okay? You know, kind of what's day to day is not the right way to put it, but what are some typical things that you do just to make sure everything is is at your standard? The first thing I do, no matter what dinosaur it is, I go to the barbecue pits and I talk to the pit guys. And I pinch and I prod and I poke and I look at what the barbecue is. And um, we cook we cook fresh all day long. We have five barbecue pits back there. So we try to time this where, you know, um, barbecue comes out. Let's say your, your, your brisket and your, your pork, they come out for lunch. So it's a matter then at this point, I can spot good or bad barbecue from 50 yards away. But I come in and I just feel it. I'll take a little taste. Yeah, this is perfect. You can tell. You can tell a good barbecue by the by the feel, by the look, by the feel. The ribs. Just talk to them and try to understand what their process is, because a lot of what we do, it's very strategic. Because you're looking to get fresh barbecue out during the course of a day, but you're cooking one thing for 14 hours. You're cooking another thing for you know your ribs four hours, but your brisket and shoulder up to 14. So you've got to predict the future. So we've got data that shows when people are consuming food at certain times so we can plan on the freshest barbecue possible. So it's having these conversations around strategy to serve the freshest barbecue. You know, you look at barbecue, it's a craft. You're only looking at, you know, and then put the sauce aside because that's a condom. So you've got a fire, you've got spice or seasoning, simple as salt and pepper, and then you have the right... It's the right meat. So it's maintaining that fire. You know, we started, we, we'd have the old drums. So I like to teach guys the old way of doing things. Because, uh, you know, the pits we have now, a um, majority of our pits, there's no gas, there's no electric, it's just straight up wood. So it's very much a craft, and it's understanding the right wood. It's understanding the fire. It's understanding the process, because a couple of our pits are outside. When it's... 10 degrees, it's different from cooking when it's 85 degrees. So it's understanding that it's barbecue is managing the variables, a lot of variable management. So now you have your, you got to select the right meat, got to have the right temperature, nice, steady, slow temperature. And then it's a process and it's patience and it's understanding what happens to meat 
during that 14 hours. And, and then, uh, you know, you're taking a rough, tough cut of meat and turning it into something very delicious and tender. And, but it's a process. Every, so it's, a, it's almost like the miracle of barbecue. I call it giving up the ghost when that it goes from tight to loose. And there's that moment in time that happens. You don't want to take it out too soon. You don't want to take it out, you know, too late. So there's that moment of perfection. And you have to, um, um, it's that craft of managing that. And it's a lot of patience in it. A lot of people will, man, this thing's been added four hours, but it's not done. It's understanding that every piece of meat has its moment of doneness. You cannot assume that one is done and the other one is done. They all will. And that's the hardest thing to teach new pit guys. It's a real craft I guess a little bit of art into it, but I, I look at it as more as a craft. Not only can you find some of the best barbecue in the country at Dinosaur Barbecue, but some of the best musical acts you'll ever hear. So how did Stage get into the live music business? It started by uh, Kelly James, Dr. Blue. And anyone uh, remembers Kelly, um, uh, big man, big voice, um, uh, just him and the guitar. So he was a customer here and said, hey, I, I have this uh, uh, this act and I'd love to play here. I was like, man, we don't do live music, but yeah, well, let's give it a shot. And then it started out with Thursday nights with Dr. Blue. And um, then it just kind of went for, again, like anything else I've ever done, it, it just happened. We did not say, all right, we're going to launch a live music venue. And next thing you know, I was like, oh, let's do another night. Let's do another night. Let's do another night. And at that point, I was booking the music. That was back, oh my God, <laughs> back in the day. I had my hands full. And then, it, uh, then, it, then we started getting into more of the national acts, and um, it was a great time for blues music. It was kind of a renaissance of the 90s, of, of uh, a rediscovery of uh, you know, this great American uh, uh, craft. And blues uh, throughout the history goes up, it goes down, it goes up, it goes down. And that was a very up time, so we had some legendary greats pass through these doors we were fortunate enough before they uh, before they passed on, but it was it was a great time for live music. What makes Syracuse Syracuse? What makes Syracuse Syracuse? Good question. Uh, boy, I gotta say, for me, it's the people, without a doubt. It's, it's why I've got so many good friends here, so many great customers. That to me is what Syracuse is about. I, I've got a dichotomy of my life. I live in New York City and I live here, so both. You know, you can't compare one to the other. Uh, they both have their uh, they both have their pluses and, and their minuses. But when I'm in Syracuse, I'm here. I'm not missing New York. And then when I'm in New York, I'm in New York. So it's it, it's the other thing with Syracuse to me is a guy who rides a motorcycle is I can be out 10, 15 miles and I'm in beautiful country. You can't like riding to Long Island, riding to Jersey. You know, there's there's no joy in that. <laughs> I've got the I've got Rockland County as my little sliver of, um, and Westchester is a decent ride, but it's not like Syracuse where you have, you know, just this abundance of beauty around it. But it really it's 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 the people. When I come back, you know, I got my I got my friends, my people. I look forward to seeing, and, and that's what that's what's most special. Dinosaur Barbecue has certainly established itself as one of the landmarks of Syracuse, New York. But just around the corner, a little donut shop is making waves on the foodie scene. Paul Valenti, 
the owner of Glazed and Confused, tells us how it happened. Four years ago, my family travels to Rehoboth Beach, uh, Dewey Beach area for family vacation. And um, there's a cute little shop down there called the, the Fractured Prune. Uh, it's a donut shop similar in size to us where we walk in and they kind of make donuts fresh and dip and glaze and head out the door. And it's seriously a tourist trap, but as an eating family, you know, Sarah and I and the two kids will go there like three or four times in that week we're on vacation. So on the way home um, four years ago, it's a six-hour ride back. On the way home, my son Roman at the time, who was eight, uh, and Isabella was 13, start to like chat it up about, hey, and it, it was, honestly, it was a simple question. They said, Dad, if there was a place like the Fractured Prune in Syracuse, do you think we would go two or three times a week like we do run around vacation? So by the time we got home six hours later, the kids had come up with the name Glazed and Confused, which I thought was kind of crafty. We'll do this as a family. Why don't we start like a festival? And as long as you guys work and you, we give back 10% to a local charity, we're in. That was in August of 2015. Okay. So from August until June, August to December, we chatted it up. And my son poked me a little bit like, Dad, I thought we were opening up a play. You know, you know, I talked to my wife about this. I was like, I didn't want to discourage them from knowing that you can take a business, make it tangible. So we started flirting with like a logo. And then we started taking trips to Rochester and kind of zoning in on the right cake donut we wanted to. And I signed up for the Taste Syracuse just saying, we're going to go with it. So Friday, June the 2nd, 2016, we were in business. We picked five flavors to work with. We launched with a dollar sample, which was the Dizzy Pig at the time. Brent, like maple and bacon was kind of trending, right? We thought that for a dollar, that would be a really good bang for your buck and good punch. Happened to be National Donut Day, which was pure coincidence. It was like... That wasn't planned? It wasn't planned. Guy walks up that morning, he's like, hey, this is really cool, and... And I was like, I gotta tell you, thanks for the information because I didn't know, right? <laughs> so, so that Friday and Saturday, we open. We're at the Taste Syracuse. It's going really, really, really well. Extremely well received. Making donuts to order, so everyone's getting a hot, fresh donut. We worked as a family. Sunday, we packaged everything up and put it in storage, and we were, you know, done for the weekend. Monday, I got a, a, an email. So we started our social handles, mm-hmm. uh, had a couple hundred followers. By the time we were done with the taste, we were up to about a thousand followers. And then I got a text message like, hey, where are you guys located? Come grab donuts. And, and listen, we were out of business, right? We were back in the shed. You know, the fryer went back. We were in business. So I never, ever wanted to have a storefront. I always thought a brick and mortar was nowhere near on my radar. So that summer, getting poked again by kids like, what's next? we decided to do some pop-ups. And the way that would look is we'd pick a flavor, take advantage of the social handle, say we're gonna be at XYZ location with 10 dozen of a specialty flavor, strawberry lemonade. And we showed up and people were there and we'd sell out in 10 minutes. By the time 2016 closed out, we were at 2,500 Instagram followers, about 3,000 on Facebook. And we shelved the project for the winter. 2017 was unique. We were going back to the Taste Syracuse. We had a little bit of luck. At the time, Bang Bang Shrimp was like the busy guy, the go-to, right, for the dollar sample. We were right up there. We were kind of neck and neck the year before. But they had pulled out in 2017. There was a new owner-operator. He decided that he couldn't handle it. And there was an article printed in the Syracuse um, Post Standard about a week prior to the taste that said, will the Dizzy Pig become the new Bang Bang Shrimp? Certainly that built a lot of curiosity. People didn't know what it was. So the 2017 taste was a huge success. We sold over 14,000 donuts in the two days. And it was it was at that moment when we finally closed that out 
that I was like, okay, maybe there's a little room for something downtown, right? So we were kind of off the path of festivals. I started thinking at least maybe those are brick. Then we started playing tug of war, Brent, like Subreverse downtown. Like what's the best location, right? I mean, everyone will always tell you in business, it's all about location. It's a location, location. Right? Yep. yep. So I defaulted to this, and whether this is right or wrong, and it's still yet to be determined, I thought that if we were in a suburb, Camillus, Manlius, Ballsville, whatever it may be, Yes, we could probably capture that audience on weekends, but I thought that we'd have a tough time during the week. Certainly not here to compete against Dunkin' Donuts, right? We're not, we don't sell other coffee items to a coffee. Um, so I defaulted to, all right, if I can get a spot downtown that's accessible, and what I mean by that is like outside of Armory Square, like easy in and out like Columbus Bakery was for years. If I can get a spot that's small and manageable, I default to that. Darwin's... I heard was moving out. They were already successful in this little spot. I thought it, the front looked like a little storefront. So this was like the ideal spot for us. So there's a few things there you said, but I want to go back to, you kept going social, social, yeah. social. It seems like social media is really important to what you do. It is. is Instagram kind of the yeah. way to go. I mean, all of them kind of work in yeah. their own way. So so that's, that's a great question, right? So f- first by nature, donuts is a good snap of a picture. Right? It's like the apex of fun. We designed the shop to be somewhat fun. You know, there's a disco ball, there's wild colors, and and when people come in on weekends or during the week and the music's up a little bit, they feel some energy, right? But there's no question. So our case, right, that we're looking at is filled with donuts. We don't serve from there. It's really just a display piece so people come in. And what happens is, so we opened up with about 5,000 Instagram followers and about 3,500 Facebook followers. We opened on November 14th of 2018. I can't tell you how many people just walk in, snap the picture of the case, snap the picture of the outside, snap a picture eating them. Um, we absolutely got lucky again, right? We had Sam Smith visit the shop. We had the Alec, Alec, you know, Alec Baldwin. We had the Bella Twins. By January, so within three months of opening, we were at 15,000. We tripled our Instagram following. It's all been social, all social. So Instagram, Twitter, um, without that, I don't know. Now, daily specials, people that are here, we build culture, we show pictures of the shop and the kids and the family. Uh, and listen, pictures sell a thousand words. They man. do. It's, 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 they it's, do. You're it's pretty impressive. That. Yeah. So what we've done is I think we've, I've hoped that, I'd like to think that we've taken the traditional classic donut that can be eaten during yeah. breakfast, lunch, it can be a dinner, right? Now that we have all these fun toppings and we've just kicked it up a notch. To riff off an old commercial, when is it time to make the donuts? Yes. Yeah. So here, so this that's a that's a great question. First, let me start by saying there are, and I am I am humbled when people you know we won best donut in Syracuse, New York. We won best donut upstate New York. We've been featured in uh, USA Today's top ten. Um, that's humbling, right? I always say there are awesome bakeries in this town, right? Gettys Bakery, they're fan, we're fans of theirs. Lincourt Harrison. The, the what separates us from them is they traditionally most bakeries across the country someone comes in 11 o'clock at night and they start baking a huge line of items right they bake bread and then they go to pies and then they go to cupcakes and then they get to the donuts and make the donuts and traditionally they throw on their apron at six or seven in the morning and a staff comes in and serves out of a case what we what we do differently is we come in at like five in the morning and we make a batch of donuts and we sell them to you, and we make donuts all day long, every five minutes, if you can hear that cranking, so you never get a donut over 30 minutes old. Big risk, right? Because some people would say you can't sell enough donuts. We would say, well, we think that people understand and appreciate the freshness, right? 
I get asked often, do you think you're the best or do you think other people? I, I, this is my answer to that. If I were to make you a peanut butter and jelly sandwich, and I gave it to you right now, it's definitely better than it would be sitting on the shelf 10 hours later. Partnership with Adam Weissman. Yes. Dreamy Tortellini coming yep. soon. Coming Down soon. Syracuse, give us a little sense of, of what's coming. Sure. So Adam and I have been friends for about 10 years now, and I certainly appreciate his uh, business acumen and his attention to detail. And, um, you know, he's come to the shop. I think I certainly have much kudos and much respect for the way he handles his business. Um, he's definitely put some faith in the fact that I can build the brand and market. So collectively, one day, sitting in these chairs where we were at, we were just talking about another concept. Um, I was going to open up another spot in Rochester, Glazed and Confused. And Adam's advice was, and, and you know what, it was, well, it was well taken. As a student of someone who wants to listen to successful individuals, he said, you know, I, I'll support you as a friend, but it's a lot easier if you start another brand in this market. You know the market, you can pop down the road, and, and, and you have a lot of relationships here. And that, that made a lot of sense to me after thinking it through. And I thought that fast casual was kind of, and, you know, listening to trends on labor and listening to what people needed, the core lives of the world were doing really well. So if we can incorporate some fun, healthy stuff with some stuff that traditional pastas um, in a pocket that works. So, so thankfully, we've come together and, and we just finished the plans. Uh, we'll be opening up on, on back of South Warren in the fall, hopefully. And we're excited about it. It'll be a fun, you know, we're calling it, you know, Adam owns the Krebs, which is fine dining. He's opening up the Elephant and Dove, which will be a really nice restaurant. And we, we you know, we're opening up, this will be called like fine, fun dining versus fine dining. It'll be a place where you can go in with shorts and a t-shirt or you can come dressed up and you'll enjoy yourself. It'll have a good vibe. To walk over here and smell barbecue and donuts, like yeah. kind of going at it, like this is this is heaven for a foodie. It, it, listen, corner, a pizza, right Austin there, yeah. Dinosaur. Another part of our success, and what I liked was being around the corner from Dinosaur. It's an easy sell to people. Everyone knows the Dinosaur for so many reasons. Listen, John Stage is a hero of mine. Like he does, he's one of the best operators in this town and in, in the state. So it worked out really well. I mean, when we would say we're around the corner, everyone got it quickly. Right, so there is a little bit. I used to come and smell, you know, barbecue all the time. Summertime, we leave our door open to see if we can kind of beat that smell. So, but we're, it's a good corner. They're great guys. We used to love a pizza, love dinosaur, John, um, and we're just happy to be part of Syracuse. Kath, Melissa Gardner. I mean, just brass power you listen to it and how do you not just want to like, start tapping your foot and as we're going to find out here she found a 25th hour in the day the rest of us don't have I'm convinced <laughs> it's true it is true she is unbelievable she's a force to be reckoned with she has a beautiful son she's got teaching gigs and regular gigs and on the road and she really is amazing uh it's it it will be an amazing and interesting talk. And we find out a little bit about your brass history too. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> Let's listen. So Melissa, first things first, tell us about your new album. Hello. Hello. <laughs> um, <laughs> so I've been working on a new album for a few months now, even though it's been in my head for a few years. Um, <laughs> It hasn't come to fruition until now because I was busy being a new mom and taking time to find my voice in the music. Um, but now I'm ready and I feel empowered um, to really share my story 
which is the name of the album actually it's called empowered excellent and it's really um about my experience as a woman in the music industry tackling my narrative with issues such as motherhood and and some of the tough stuff too like domestic violence and recovery and workplace harassment and um and finally landing at a place or a song called home because I finally feel like that's where I am now so I'm really excited to share it with the world um I'm terrified to share it as well (laughs) but um I can't wait so one of the really cool things about the album is that um we went to the homes of Ingrid Jensen and Tia Fuller who are two of my big idols in the music industry and um recorded them as guests special guests on the album and they're both incredible musicians in their own right. So um, having their voices just really put it all together for me. So basically the album is sort of this, not a kaleidoscope, but it's sort of an array of a journey that you took personally, or is it just something that you've seen in the world happening? It's, it's my personal journey, my personal story. Um, it doesn't go completely chronologically just because I also was balancing musical styles and Mm -hmm. stuff, but for the most part it does. Uh, so it's from when I was in New York City, um, just left Juilliard, fresh with a master's degree in jazz, now what, right? Right. Up until now where I'm at in Syracuse seven years later. So it covers about a seven year time frame. Well, that fascinates me. Juilliard was always, you know, what? everyone aspired to mm-hmm. but it was extremely extremely difficult to get in so to, so to say that you are have a master at Juilliard is just incredible to me because it's sort of like the cream of the crop which we already know you are um when I first saw you I think I told you before I saw you play at a jazz jam at Funkin Waffles in in my head I thought who is that fabulous person And I always wanted to know, what made you decide on the trombone? (laughs) What was it? Um, Well, that that question gets asked to me a lot. And it's really quite simple. I was nine, and I thought it looked cool. And my sisters played in (laughs) band, and I was like, I want the one with the slide. But I think about the deeper meaning behind it. um, That maybe at some point I knew it was sort of a rebellious thing to do, you know. Um, And at some point, you know, I also wonder why it's always asked you know why that Mm -hmm. question is always asked to me um because I guess it's really just not um what people are used to seeing so they just want to know a little bit more about about why I ended up choosing something that's against the norm but I hope eventually that it won't surprise anyone (laughs) seeing a female trombonist (laughs) no for me I I've talked to you before about being a brass player and I played the French horn so I always get excited to ask other brass players why they went for brass Mm -hmm. so for me that's why I would ask that what was your story with that (laughs) actually it was similar to yours um I was in the third grade and they were handing out instruments and when I finally decided that I wanted to be in band there was only the French horn left (laughs) so basically (laughs) 
the uh, music teacher who is actually one of my favorite, favorite people in the whole wide world, uh, he basically said, it's the French horn or, or really or nothing, and we're desperate to have a French horn player. So I, I said, okay, whatever, I'll do it. So I just kind of fell into it. But again, like he said, as I got, as I got uh, older, it, it made more sense. Yeah, I wonder, like... Um I mean, talking about the deeper context behind that, like women playing brass mm-hmm. instruments, um, a lot of the stories I've heard with other women are very similar, like you said. I, I wonder if instruments weren't so gendered, what the world would look like. Someone actually said the other day, I thought flute or clarinet. Mm-hmm. said no. Nope. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and that's what my older sisters played, the flute and the clarinet. Oh, no. So those are off so the market. It's so funny to think about it like <laughs> that. And, and it's yeah. a little sad, but we're, we're, we're breaking the sky with that, so we'll see. Um, and I'm sure you've heard this question too, but as a mom who works and is in the music business, I, you run circles around me, and I feel oh. like I'm tired. So I want to know how, how you balance all that. You're, you're an adjunct professor at Cornell, SU, and Lemoyne. And then you're recording this amazing, fabulous album. You're doing Jazz Jam. You're on the road. How do you do this? How do you find time? <laughs> well, um, I definitely am still searching for that answer. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't think I'm running circles around you, by the way. I oh. think, you know, we all have very different journeys. And I'm working on prioritizing um, work-life balance. It's been something, honestly, I've been really struggling with. Um, I have an incredible family, and um, being a musician has been extremely challenging in terms of finding the time to really be with my family when they're free. Mm-hmm. I'm on everybody's opposite schedule. Right. Musicians are hired yes. for entertainment during Sweet. holidays, New Year's Eve, mm-hmm. Christmas Nighttime. Eve, all these things. Um, and so, like, I'm constantly trying to fine-tune and balance. Um, When I first became a mom, honestly, it raised the bar significantly for what opportunities I was able to accept because I had to arrange for a babysitter and my time literally was money. And and so that started the whole um, ascension (laughs) into higher quality (laughs) experience. Growing and growing and growing and learning how to say no. (laughs) So... That's it. That's a tough one, though. It's hard to say no. It really is. It is so hard. And there's so many things that I do want to do that I have to say no to. But at the end of the day, um, the things that I am able to uh, be a part of when I prioritize it in that way is just more meaningful and I'm more invested. And I'm not so scattered as I had been in places in the past and probably still will be as (laughs) as I continue this journey. The Sammies, which is for people who are listening, the Syracuse Area Music Awards. It's our it's our Grammys here in Syracuse. Um, so you are in getting inducted. You're in the Hall of Fame. That must sound so serious. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> inducted, like alien abduction. <laughs> um, so this year I was nominated and uh, awarded um, Educator of the Year for the Sammies, and um, it is an incredible honor and it also to be honest it really inspires me because music education and education in general for me is extremely scary Mm -hmm. I I, I don't know I I'm still learning how to be confident while doing it because 
learning and playing and building your own craft is completely different mm-hmm. than teaching it. And breaking it down. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So that's another thing I'm constantly fine-tuning in my approach for teaching. And the one thing I've learned so far is just to be completely genuine. Don't try to be or do or teach anything that you aren't connecting with. And I've also realized that education isn't necessarily, nor should it be, just in a classroom or in a private lessons environment. Um, And I'm really leaning towards more of the social music and social environment part of education. Connecting and communication. Mm -hmm. And you you can miss that element all too easily in, in the traditional educational environment. And now... Sounds from our next episode, the rising music stardom of Sydney Irving taking Syracuse by storm when she's not doing her math homework. I did not know what I was doing. Um, I kind of went in blind to what you could do in the studio and how someone would go about recording an album. So we kind of, I went in, I recorded every song in I think one day, we had one day to record it, and I just kind of went in guitar and voice at the same time, played the songs like twice each and then whatever one ended up being the best one got on the album you'll hear that in my one-on-one conversation with congressman john catko we thank you for listening to episode two of stick to syracuse don't forget you can subscribe in itunes spotify soundcloud or google play i'm brent dax until next time meet you at marble farms we're sold on our ideas stay far from But it's hard when told to run Who blast the eyes, they made me weak Called the game of